Hello, dear friends from around the world, and welcome to the Bloody Heroes podcast number one. I'm your host, Urosh, and together with my incredible guests from Bleeding Disorder community, we're here to inspire you to follow your dreams, to never give up, and to create a life you were probably told is out of your reach. Today is a very special day, not only because it's the first episode of this show, but also because my first guest is a woman with a bleeding disorder, not a man. Our community was for too long focusing only on men, and it's time for a change. Women are also bleeders, and in some cases, they have much bigger problems than men. I advise everyone to watch a movie called Women and Bleeding Disorder, Untold Stories. It can be found on European Hemophilian Consortium YouTube page. If I'm honest, before I've seen the movie, I had no idea what women are going through, and the movie opened my eyes. So my guest today is a friend of mine, incredible woman, president of Latvia Hemophilia Society, advocate not only for bleeding disorder, but also for other rare diseases, and believer in fair and better world for everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, let me present you Baiba Ziemele. Hello, Baiba. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. Great. So let's start with um, the most basic question, uh, which is uh, simply, when did you find out that you have a bleeding disorder? Um, yeah. It happened, I think, 30 years ago. So it's like in a previous life. Okay. <laughs> I was just seven, just uh, started school and my brother was just born. So it's quite a long time since we know that we have this special blood. <laughs> okay. So it's, is this something that uh, was already in your family or you were the first case? Uh, our father knew that he has a bleeding disorder, but he didn't knew which one because back then it was not possible to uh, diagnose one Willebrand's disease. And uh, therefore he didn't know that he can pass it on. And we were already three children in the family when they found out that something is wrong with our blood as well. Mm -hmm. So you said you had from Willebrand disease, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, which type? Because I know that there are some types. <laughs> um, that's the like the most annoying question <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because for uh, something like um, probably past ten years, that uh, since this became like a very hot topic in the world, I have been trying to understand uh, which of the types we have, but it's still. On, under the question mark because we have found out it's type 2 but we can't say which of the types 2 because there are four of them so uh, <laughs> okay. there's still one one test missing in our country so we can't do it so basically we can say you have from Villabron type 2 that's it kind of. that's it and <laughs> that's, <laughs> okay that's all I know so uh, and how this this condition affected you in in your childhood was any difference i mean you were different than your uh, mates or it didn't really affect you at all i never felt i'm different okay 
<laughs> just like I'm special. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but no, I don't think like I, when I see the stories around the world, how this bleeding disorder has affected other people, I feel pretty lucky that uh, in my case, it was just like huge bruises that never disappeared. Once I had a bruise that was there for a year. <laughs> okay. But... Uh, yeah, and I nearly died from the uh, when the teeth were changing. Something were happening there, so I was bleeding in the kindergarten. But because nobody knew the reason, nobody helped me, so it just stopped. And okay, <laughs> and there I am now. <laughs> it stopped on on its own. I really don't remember, don't and remember. I have never asked my parents. Okay, maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> um. Maybe. And uh, growing up, you, what did you want to become when you grow up? I guess every ch- child has a dream. Uh, even I had a dream, you know, and they told me that it's impossible because of my problems. But since you didn't know. <laughs> no, I, um, when I'm asked about what I wanted to become in the childhood, I like uh, one of the things is that I never... Uh, learn geography properly enough because I never thought like you know it was just after the Soviet Union (laughs) so I never thought that I will go one day to Greece or Egypt or somewhere else like uh, all these places that were mentioned in the history and geography books and uh, now I have been to most of them (laughs) so it's like uh, one of the dreams come true but uh, from the professional side I wanted to be a doctor one of my favorite things was reading uh, medical books and trying to understand like uh, and i also did like um, biology and chemistry in the high school so uh, i was pretty sure i will become a doctor <laughs> <laughs> so then you be- you became a doctor or not <laughs> i graduated from medical university <laughs> with a degree in sociology so okay. i'm not a doctor but close to a doctor <laughs> close well, you see, the destiny has its own plan. <laughs> yeah, usually it has, yeah. Okay, so um, you, I guess you have some background, I mean, background in medicine, in a way, a bit. <laughs> in a way. In a way. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, one day you simply became involved in uh, your hemophilia community. What happened? It was not simple. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? You know, since you didn't have so many problems, uh, yeah, what happened that you suddenly become became involved in in your community? Mm, that was just after the crisis, so I had lost my job and uh, which crisis? I had a financial crisis, <laughs> or yes, okay. the one in two thousand eight and nine. Okay, and uh, like something that they never write in the books, but it uh, hit Latvia very hard. So uh, the crisis was much much deeper than in Greece, but uh, <laughs> we survived <laughs> without any any um, help financial without any financial help. <laughs> It uh, affected many people okay. in this country, and uh, and I think we are still trying to recover, and it's uh, very difficult. But um, but then there was this election. Somehow, like previous president asked me to organize the annual meeting, and I did, and uh, and somehow <laughs> they elected me the president. <laughs> 
<laughs> so it, it really, like you said, just happened like that. It was, uh, I never had a plan, like I want to be the president or something. And then I just realized that I'm actually like all these two, 300 people have, um, trust in me and that I'm responsible for them. So I tried the best I can to help this community in my country. Um, I remember the one that once you told me that, um, that before you came, uh, to the position, uh, you had quite a bad treatment in Latvia, right? And then, yes, that's true. and then you've, uh, you've made some changes and now it's, it's better. Yeah. But the first change was very difficult because, uh, we had to sue the government because okay. they had made, uh, some illegal changes like, um, in decisions that, uh, illegal in a meaning that they were not according to existing legislation and, uh, and yeah so it took us some five years i think to change like the to prove that this decision was not a correct one and not based on facts but just like interpretation of how they felt and that's actually also one of the uh consequences of the crisis because hemophilia treatment is one of the most expensive treatments in uh, the country is usually paying for so we needed uh, to do something about it because uh, they were buying very old medicine that was uh, not helping people and people were complaining that they're just injecting like water and it's not helping. So, um, so for us, it was like, why are you spending so much money on the treatment that is supposed to help people, but it's not helping the people. So there should be something done about it. But uh, yeah, it was only last summer in 2018 when uh, a miracle happened and our people started getting uh, uh, third generation recombinant factors for hemophilia, which is like a big step forward. Mm -hmm. But as I understand now, now we have to fight about dosage because that's uh, like uh, very low and it's not... Um, protecting protecting people's joints from bleeding mm -hmm. and uh, that would be the next step what we have to do in 2020 to help this community okay so if i heard you correctly uh, you were the miracle for latvia hemophilia society <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's like maybe in a way you know like uh, these japanese um, torturers <laughs> when they are like uh, making water on your face and then you finally <laughs> it's dripping 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 <laughs> and when it's like uh when it's enough then it's enough so i feel like uh like this japanese person <laughs> okay. who is dripping the water <laughs> on, your... on the government <laughs> uh, Alex, you, you look like one japanese person. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, so this means that probably you are re regularly um, meeting with uh, your government and with uh, the Ministry of Health. Yeah, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. So now uh, you you already are friend with uh, two or three ministers of health. They come and go. They I come. don't count. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> only only you stay, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yes. 
<laughs> I think it's fortunately, not unfortunately. So, uh, uh, so when we, we we were speaking for the last time, you you also mentioned me something about um, the import- importance of being patient. What do you, what if if you remember? Do you remember our conversation? Yeah. Tell me more about that. I think that was in a context that nothing happens right away, mm. like uh, like this decision about uh, drugs and um, and also other changes. Like uh, there can be like my uh, in my recent. Uh, um, past (laughs) i have come to conclusion that uh, like voluntary work can be different like in a one way it can be saving animals and uh, helping people by collecting uh, presents and helping them once in a year for christmas or something like that and then there can be like voluntary work like i'm doing because i'm not paid for this so it's like that's one of the aspects why about the patients and the other one is that nothing happens right away so in this field to make a change it takes like many different actions that not always bring the the outcome right away but uh, you have to keep moving otherwise it won't happen at all so I think for me, I constantly lose motivation because I have invested so much time and work in some things that uh, are not bringing something, some change that is visible like in the next day, a month later or or, or a year later even sometimes. But um, but uh, from the other side, when you look back, then it's like you understand, I understand <laughs> that everything that I have done so far is changing something and it's like that's why I would suggest all other people that are in the field that keep dreaming and someday it will happen (laughs) so basically uh, what is motivating you to not to quit is uh, looking back at what you've already achieved and then uh, like uh, like yesterday evening we had a meeting uh, with our um, like uh, we started doing these monthly meetings with hemophilia community in my country, not hemophilia, bleeding mm-hmm. disorders community in my country. And uh, because I felt like they feel like there's a huge distance that I'm not approachable or something. So we started meeting every month and, um, and I'm just like in a coffee shop in, uh, in the city and anyone can come and ask questions. And, uh, there's a new family in our community and I was so happy yesterday when the father of this kid who was uh, a year ago when we met when the kid was born with hemophilia and he was like terrified and didn't know what to do and this year he comes and asks like where can I learn how to inject uh, factor concentrates for the kid like because he has understood that the, and the quicker he would provide the help, the quicker the kid would uh, like stop suffering. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think this is the most important that like uh, in a way I'm in charge for, I don't know, like 100, uh, 130,000 people with rare diseases in my country. But like every time when I hear a story like that, uh, where 
maybe I didn't do anything directly, but I was there and I know that uh, that these people can ask help and I'm really trying to do the best to help all of them. And uh, that makes me happy because I can imagine a person who has nobody to ask for advice like uh, how would you survive this is not the worst uh, disease in the world like hemophilia is pretty easy in a way i know it sounds like terrible and now people would say like oh you haven't had joint bleeds or something <laughs> i have had the joint bleed okay <laughs> so i kind of know <laughs> and uh, but this is like uh, not the worst disease out of all for us, it's like we can easily, like easily, <laughs> uh, diagnose the disease. We can. There is like so many things happening about the treatments, about new treatments, and it's just like keeping your eyes and uh, ears open and be open to every possibility. Yeah. So for me, as a community leader, I have to be the bridge between the the patients who have this uh, problem and the government who is supposed to provide the universal health coverage for all people, treatment for all and all these other nice slogans <laughs> and uh, keep uh, pushing because otherwise nothing would happen. Mm. How would they know that there's a new treatment out there? A company would come and say, like, we need $2 million for for this gene treatment for every person. But do they really know how this would affect the person in the end? Is the person in the end ready to receive this treatment? Mm-hmm. That's another question. So, Yeah. But yeah, we also have to, you know, I, I agree with you. We are lucky to be uh, living in this part of the world where we we have access to such a good treatment. Uh, but still, around 70% of people around the world have no idea that they have hemophilia or, or even, a, I mean, they are still dying without knowing why and without any treatment. So we are really la- la- lucky, yeah. And that's why we're also... Nah. <laughs> well, not not really, because we still have this uh, women's question. Ah, okay, and, okay. Uh, true, true. And I think there are like many women who doesn't even know that they should be receiving care in a way. Like uh, everywhere hemophilia is perceived as a men's disease Mm -hmm. and uh, nobody ever thinks that their moms and daughters and somebody else in the family might be suffering and like a few days ago there was this article about hemophilia b gene carriers that have five times higher risk of uh, dying from postpartum bleeding like that's one of the sustainable uh, development goals one of the things that you can fix in your country is reduce the mortality of uh, mothers and newborn kids. And I think this is like very closely uh, related to bleeding disorders. And if we as a community in Europe are not like, I'm not like a community of people with bleeding disorders, but like the society at large. And if we don't recognize that this is a problem that can be easily solved with few factor concentrates that doesn't cost like uh, a fortune, to be honest, like they are expensive, but that's not the most expensive treatment out there. And uh, we just like say, no, nothing's going to happen. Like, uh, yes, there is a risk of dying from bleeding in the childbirth or something, but uh, 
we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and it always would go wrong with attitude like that. And uh, I have seen this here in this European Union country called my country, Latvia. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's not right mm. and it's 2020 right here in few weeks and we have to do something about it finally yeah thanks uh, thanks for reminding me about that yeah uh, because uh, in a way we're brainwashed that hemophilia is only related to guys and i still remember when i when i must um when i met for the first time first uh, girl with hemophilia is severe and i was shocked because i was sure that they don't exist but they do exist. I recently met a girl who has hemophilia B with inhibitors. Okay. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> 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 and even for us people who are there, for us, it's like a miracle yeah. to see some because inhibitors family is so small and even there can be girls. And imagine this girl like fighting for her treatment because nobody would believe a girl can have hemophilia. Hemophilia B is five times less frequent than hemophilia A. And then she has inhibitors. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I was, yeah, <laughs> shocked. <laughs> okay. So you are not only involved in your country, you're also involved in EHC uh, events, double F, FH. Um, do you remember when was your first international uh, conference, EHC conference, which was probably the first one that you went? I started with the children's summer camps in Germany. Uh -huh, okay. <laughs> Because we were, uh, the kids in our, uh, our family, we were probably the ones who were speaking English when we were teens. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so that was one of the very important criteria to send children abroad. So that was my first connection with other people with hemophilia abroad. But uh, about the conferences and meetings like that, that... Uh, I think it was in Montpellier or something like that. I remember that in 2007, I already gave my first speech in uh, in conference in Parma. Okay. <laughs> it was about uh, non-profit organization management and strategic thinking. So, yeah. You know, I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> because I started my events in 2006 in, I think it was in Sofia. And I think I first met you there and then, yeah. I was keep seeing you year after year after year. <laughs> <laughs> remember, I was blonde back then. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. <laughs> I remember only your face. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you are not only active in uh, in uh, bleeding disorder community, but also you are uh, on international level. In I think. Uh, you will tell me more about that, but I think on European level, you're also fighting for um, patients with other rare disorders, right? Yep. It started uh, more than five years ago mm -hmm. the, when in Latvia we were working on rare disease plan and hemophilia, of course, was one of the diseases. And since I'm very active and nobody can ask me to shut up. Okay. <laughs> So I spent a lot of time uh, with other patient groups and we became very close in the meaning that we understood that there are some things that it's easier to do together 
because each of us had different skills and different experience. Like some of us is better with social services. Some is better with uh, <clears throat> making uh, events and conferences. Some is better with uh, writing formal letters to government. So we had a lot of things to learn from each of other, uh, each well, one of other. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, then we established the National Alliance of Rare Diseases because like every country has one and we didn't before that. Okay. And so we had to do it. And uh, of course, we became a member of Eurordis, which is European Organization for Rare Diseases. And uh, after that, um, then we just started uh, going to those events, learning uh, what is going on in other countries on European level. And uh, so now I'm involved in the Health Technology Assessment Task Force, which is uh, some people from all the community that are working on reimbursement guidelines and suggestions for European Medicines Agency and also dealing with other documents that are about uh, reimbursement of medicines and that's, of course, closely related to access to healthcare, which is another working group okay. in which I'm active <laughs> as an EHC uh, volunteer um, that's under the European Patients Forum, which is another patient, uh, European level patient organization. Uh, and there, for several years, we are uh, trying to make. Uh, European governments to look at the universal health coverage and uh, what the World Health Organization is suggesting uh, as uh, uh, access to healthcare because it's not just like uh, that you have a doctor that you can go to it's also how much you have to pay to go there how far it is and uh, and many other aspects uh, that are related to access of the healthcare and um, what else I'm doing in uh, Europe I'm uh, now representing all people with bleeding disorders in Eurobloodnet which is a European reference network for bleeding disorders and hematological disorders as such and this is something new for me although I was uh, already a fan of uh, European reference networks uh, before I was involved officially there okay. <laughs> because this is like a, like a doctor's club. I call it like that. Uh, it's like um, the high, highest uh, specialists in the field. They have created a network in which they can ask uh, advice to each uh, another um, about various rare diseases they see in their practice because... Um, not only in, like hemophilia is not that rare, like it is a rare disease, but there are some diseases even in our community called rare bleeding disorders that are uh, uh, factor seven deficiency and other uh, diseases that are like uh, one in a million, how I called <laughs> because it's like really, really rare. And, uh, and you can't request your country to have uh, 
competence in each of them. Mm-hmm. Like a country like mine, in which we have two million people, we would never be able to have the competence and service to these people that uh, we can provide, like everything. Mm-hmm. So people can say happily, yes, we have received the care we need. And uh, so the, there are these European doctors clubs in each of uh, their 24 networks like that and uh, each of them is focusing on other disease groups and um, and that's where they can use some european tools <laughs> of connections and uh, and actually also as i understand being paid for the consultations they provide to each other about this how to do tackle rare disease patients <laughs> okay so you told about a lot of things you, you do a lot of things so i already uh, that's not all of it okay <laughs> <laughs> um, so i bet you 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 travel quite a lot right maybe do, do you have a figure in your um, mind how many days you were abroad this year <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I know you asked me this because I was postponing this call for, I don't know, a month or even no, more. I'm asking you this because I, I saw on your Facebook, you were mentioning uh, how many days you were abroad, how many flights you had this year. That's what I'm asking. Yes, because I finished uh, flying this okay. year and sometimes I feel like like if I was a flight attendant. Okay. <laughs> I made 44 flights like uh, up and down this year and was away from home for 85 days. So, but it's not only business trips. It was actually also uh, two other trips that uh, my best friend, she (laughs) bought me a one-way ticket last year, a year ago to visit her for New Year's. And uh, so... uh, I couldn't figure out how to get a ticket back <laughs> for another three weeks. <laughs> and then my mom just bought me one. Okay. <laughs> so I came back home. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, that's the other side of being a volunteer that you never know about your money, how much you will have. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, how to survive. So I'm trying to live the best I can. <laughs> I'm happy I have a family who is supporting me and uh, and friends that uh, when I'm down that they're really helping with support and saying like <laughs> that they understand the work I have done and they keep inspiring me to keep moving. So otherwise I would be just sitting at home and crying <laughs> that I tried so hard and it didn't work. <laughs> no, you've done great work. Bye bye. Uh, so if I got you correctly, you are a full-time volunteer, right? <laughs> yep. Your society actually doesn't pay you not even a penny for what you do? <laughs> it's not the society. It's a, I have to find the money to pay myself. Okay. <laughs> and since we survive mostly on donations that are uh, like... Um, in our legislation, there are like two types of donations that the company can do. And it's like one is uh, without uh, purpose and the other one is with purpose. And because they keep saying that they have these um, fundraising uh, uh, policies and uh, donation policies, then uh, most of the donations come 
for a goal, like a meeting, uh, providing some specific service, and they are not like willing to cover, I don't know, they constantly ask for date, <laughs> but they are never really ready to pay for mm. them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, so there's no, and I don't have time to, um, to write projects. And uh, I also don't believe in these artificial projects in which you just like, make lots of booklets and post-its <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I think it's uh, not the correct way how to I understand that it's like important and necessary but uh, but sometimes I think some people just abuse the, this kind of project so <laughs> I don't want to be one of them <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know it, it happens all around uh, the world probably <laughs> Yes. So, uh, so who is then supporting you? I mean, you're living in your own apartment and stuff like that. So, who is supporting you then? If you yeah, the fancy life, right? Uh, I see. Follows I me see some roses behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the name day, so that was a present. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's my family. Your my family. Dad and my mom. They keep covering my bills, mm. which is something that I not very proud of because I'm quite old and should be able to uh, sustain myself. But yeah, that's how the life goes. And uh, and I'm happy and really thankful that they can do it and keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, wow, incredible. Uh, actually, in a way, uh, thanks to your family, uh, you know, not only patients from your country, but also patients around the Europe have... Uh, uh, someone that is taking care of them in a way. <laughs> I'll tell my dad and my mom. <laughs> I never know. Yeah. Imagine like to use it like this. <laughs> I mean, you should tell them and, you know, and, and yeah, tell them that I say, thank you. Thank you for, uh, you know, helping us, helping people from around the Europe. Um, so, uh, once you also told me that you are close to finishing your PhD. <laughs> Why laughing? I am. <laughs> you are. I am still close to finishing. <laughs> but yeah, that's another story. That was one of my dreams that I wanted to have the degree. And then for 10 years after graduating from business school, I couldn't find... Uh, a decent school in my country to do it for free. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a fan of uh, paid education because I think uh, that uh, it's not for the people who can pay, but for the ones who can learn. But in the school which offered me a budget place, um, like in my country up till now, up till next year, I think uh, it's not like that uh, PhD position is a academic position within the university that uh, people are paid for it. So some are that are lucky and get involved in the projects, um, some European level projects or something like that. But some <laughs> have these crazy ideas <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that nobody is ready to pay for. <laughs> So, um, so I don't have any financial support to do my research, but I have finally 
found um, the method that I will use for analysis because I had like this uh, head full of ideas and uh, arguments and literature. So I think now these uh, pregnancy <laughs> months okay. are are so close to the delivery day. <laughs> That I hope I will make it on time. <laughs> uh-huh, so you're making some progress. No, maybe I will. Maybe you don't know, but I have put out of office reply on my email. <laughs> okay. That I'm not answering any uh, emails or anything until mid February. <laughs> Good. So so is some progress because the last time we were speaking about, I didn't notice that there is a progress, but now I I see some changes. <laughs> I have to, you know, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, now I'm I'm going to ask you a, a, maybe a, you know, devil's advocate question in a way. So, why don't you quit volunteering and get a job, you know? What is, you know, pushing you forward that you continue volunteering full time and also, you know, postponing in a way your PhD for few years already okay now you're finishing it but uh yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well um i have tried uh working parallel to this uh patient thing but uh i think um i have this uh mm, my dreams are too big <laughs> I really see that uh, that I have invested uh, probably too much time in this thing and I can't see myself just doing a normal job anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand that it's like uh, it should be differently, but uh, but I think I can't quit. I can change how I do it and... Uh, and maybe like i have some ideas that again probably won't work maybe they will we'll see after a few years but um but i won't make the no i'm not ready to make the same mistake i did before when i was like no i'm quitting this forever so mm-hmm. <laughs> i tried to quit hemophilia in 2007 i think I was like, no, it's like not for me. I'm going to work and do my market research forever and be happy company manager or something. But it kept uh, bringing me back to healthcare and this. So it's like, why escaping the destiny? Mm. Maybe I should just like reinvent it and do it differently. So, but now I have to finish the PhD okay. and then... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it sounds to me that you are going to be in, in this uh, field of, let's say, work. I hope that one day. Forever. Yeah, forever. <laughs> for life, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, judging by how, how I feel sometimes, I believe that you also, um, this way of life can be also very lonely, right? Probably. <laughs> Of course it is. Like, uh, imagine like everyone is finishing their work, like they work from nine to five mm. and uh, then they are free and uh, and they have hobbies and something. 
my lifestyle is completely different. Like then I'm in Paris, in Brussels, in another meeting, then like, uh, I'm trying to fix this email, then comes out a new, uh, proposal for, for legislation. I have to read it through to understand how it's going to change the whole landscape. And are these like international documents that come from somewhere and you have to react immediately. Otherwise they are gone. So I, often work uh, until very late in the evening and uh and like i said a few minutes ago that uh sometimes it's just like you don't see the the like the effort you have made has no immediate uh, consequences so it's like uh you just did the best you could but you don't know how it works and then sometimes it comes back that it didn't work. Like uh, like a few years ago, we included in the national policy for rare diseases that uh, we are um, helping. Uh, like uh, we wanted our doctors to receive bigger salaries, uh, the tariff for when they are facing a patient with rare disease, so they could have more time and uh, more motivation uh, to work with them. But now, two years later, we see that probably this was not the right way how to go. And now we have to come up with a solution how to fix this good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, there's this saying in Latvia that uh, good intentions lead to hell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sometimes I really feel that uh, the more you try, the worse it gets. <laughs> But you never know how it works. Mm -hmm. So probably it stays somewhere in the air and when the air is ready, it comes out. Mm -hmm. But I'm not lonely. Like I always find out uh, interesting things to do. (laughs) You always find out some great papers to read, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just open your Facebook, which is not like other people's Facebook with nice pictures like how everyone is like decorating their Christmas tree or something. <laughs> just like, there's a new paper in this uh, this magazine. There's a new paper in this one. There's a new article here. And Yay! Just, like, Very exciting, right? Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. But uh, uh, and then people ask, "What series have you seen recently? Did you see this movie?" Oh, there's a movie. <laughs> I've seen that paper. Have you seen that paper? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's slowly conclude our um, interesting conversation. And um, yeah, I, I always like to conclude with uh, talking about um, what uh, has your condition taught you about life? Have you ever uh, learned something because of your bleeding disorder? I think uh, actually I'm happy I have it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine my life in a different way because, like, uh, one of the ways, how can you, like, uh, I have this other condition that <laughs> I just can't get uh, uh, control over. Mm. It's my food intolerance that came up suddenly and I still can't understand why it happened and how to live with it. But uh, for bleeding disorder, 
of course it was like uh, we abused <laughs> the condition when we were kids like uh, because <laughs> we were allowed you like, too we were you too <laughs> We were forbidden to do sports yeah. and, you know, like in the school, <laughs> what could be best? Like, oh, I can't do like running or something. <laughs> But then a few years ago, I found out that uh, sports is actually a fun thing to do. So I learned that my, my body can do so many things that I was not aware of. And uh, I can do like, uh, I don't know, lots of push-ups and uh, these uh, other things that I never thought I can. And my trainer is always telling other people, the new ones in the group, that look at this girl. She <laughs> did, not, uh, did no sports before and now she comes three times a week <laughs> and always does everything. <laughs> and, uh, and from the other side, I could be just... Uh, sad that like I have this blood and nobody loves me because of my blood and like I can't fix my life I'm bleeding constantly and something but I have learned like I think also my body is pretty smart in a way that it is not allowing lots of bleeds because my factor level indicates that I should be bleeding almost every day but I don't <laughs> and um, and I travel a lot I have been to all five continents and, uh, okay, Egypt was <laughs> in Africa and that was my vacation from the previous life. <laughs> But still, <laughs> I have been uh, to 42 countries so far and, um, and many of them, I have friends like on my Facebook from around the world, people from all these countries that, uh, and that's why I understand that Um, there is this huge difference like there shouldn't be a difference for you as a person if you are born I don't know even here like in Latvia or Lithuania these are two countries that have had like very similar history and uh, economical conditions but uh, how we treat bleeding disorders is completely different so I shouldn't be suffering just because I'm here like uh, 50 kilometers away from that country and I think for you it's the same like you have the Switzerland and all those nice fancy countries around that can do something about it and uh, and you realize that your country just can't because they are not that uh, that rich or mm. they are not so smart to spend money on healthcare because that's like important thing <laughs> our government currently they just made the new budget for next year in which they say in one way yes healthcare is priority we will do everything and when it comes to like putting the numbers right they just screw up everything <laughs> and everyone is like <laughs> but how because it's like for years and years and years they keep say, saying like that uh, you should find like uh, inner strengths to keep working in like doctors nurses people are just leaving we have no nurses to work mm -hmm. they are canceling surgeries and other uh, like these important uh, procedures Exactly. And just because we don't have people to work mm -hmm. there. And that's like a consequence of constantly not giving enough money for the field. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are always people who are not doing the right thing with the money when it's given, but, uh, but it shouldn't be like that. So mm -hmm. my bleeding disorder is not a curse.
it's okay. it's more like a miracle. Okay, so now you answered 15 questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if, if I got from your your answer, you wouldn't change anything in your, your in your life, right? If you, if you had a chance. <laughs> Maybe just the aspect of um, financial security. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, and driving a nice car would be fine. Okay, so <laughs> just two things. <laughs> yes, and then I can continue working like this. Okay. You know, I believe that things like that will one day come in your life, so don't worry. Mm, someday, someday. Someday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Mm, you mentioned also that you're not bleeding every day, even though the level of fear factors or from Villebrand factor is it's very low. Do you think that there is any uh, effect of your mind on your body so that you're maybe uh, simply too happy and that's why your body is not uh, bleeding? Or do you have any, you know, any... Um, idea or uh, any belief or around how your mind is affecting you your body no my esoteric friend i don't have answer for this question <laughs> i think my body is just like <laughs> it very well knows that we don't have a treatment here <laughs> okay <laughs> and if we needed one like uh, i have had some situations in my life when i was uh, really needing treatment and uh and and this year there was like the second time in my life when i actually got the right treatment and that was for a small surgery that otherwise couldn't be performed and i was postponing it for a year but then doctor said no you have to do this test and i was like oh my god <laughs> okay <laughs> so i did uh, it the way it shouldn't be done i called the friends <laughs> in rare disease center and asked them to help me out because i really i had no idea how to fix this they say you need to do this and uh, of course like uh, i got the treatment and uh, i never became like three percent more pretty or something <laughs> <laughs> and i would never know if uh, without the treatment i would have bled or something but uh, but uh, every day yes i still don't shave my legs <laughs> <laughs> because it's like every time it's like a cut and for 20 minutes you are just like <sighs> okay <laughs> But uh, compared to other issues, like I had this uh, joint bleed that nobody believed. And when I saw it on Facebook, somebody posted in one of those forums, I think in the beginning of this year, a bleed in the, uh, in really in the hand. So it was like, so it really was a bleed. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. my doctors, when I went there, they said like, not possible. It's impossible. Yeah. Like, why <laughs> maybe you hit it somewhere i was like how oh, i woke up like with blue red like hand and couldn't move it so it was like extremely painful i couldn't do anything about it so that's why i say i can imagine how a bleed like somewhere in the knee or other big joint hurts because this was a small joint and it went away two three days later but uh 
but like uh, I can only imagine how it hurts like uh, to have a big joint bleed and maybe my body in a way <laughs> understands that this is like something that we have to control and I'm very cautious I'm trying to avoid every situation like uh, like sometimes I even abuse my <laughs> disorder and say I can't go hiking oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, because long walks, it's like uh, painful on the on the feet. Mm. Like uh, this is again something that medical community doesn't understand. But our bruises can be like from from shoes. Mm. It's just like too tough, and you have a bruise on your leg. And of course, and now I had again like because of this heavy travel, I missed my trainings for three weeks, and when I went back. I had like the small bruises on my hands because something happens inside and it just breaks and uh, and <laughs> and then I have had like many conversations with my ex-boyfriend because like uh, oh, you have this bruise probably you are cheating on me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a bleeding disorder <laughs> that just come from nowhere. Like I don't need to hit myself even <laughs> at the corner of the mm. table or doors or something. I'm clumsy. <laughs> but no just like it's just something you accept that there is like that and uh, I'm not sure if I would use the treatment like every day for prophylaxis now in this situation because a professor recently told me that uh, I should be careful about my joints and it could be getting worse with the the GI bleeds uh, when I get older but Maybe by that time <laughs> I will have made the change in the like the healthcare plan that the government is providing the community, and maybe then I will receive the care. You know, I I, I really believe that you will make those changes. <laughs> yeah. But over the past ten years, I have it was like yeah, but know. you've done you've you've done quite a lot of them already. Um, but that was for hemophilia, not for von Willebrand. So. Yeah, so now you have experiences that you can use in your in your field, <laughs> in your von Willebrand uh, <laughs> quest. So, okay, um, I have just a few more questions for you. Um, really? Yeah, just a few more. And the first one that I would like to ask you, knowing what you know about life so far, what you would tell to your younger self? come on these are special <laughs> questions <laughs> magical questions mm. Mm. <laughs> there's some private i can't say <laughs> okay 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 then <laughs> i would like uh, i think the biggest mistake was that uh, i had like lots of dreams when i was a kid like just after graduating high school i was like oh i know everything <laughs> And then somehow gradually people kept telling me like, uh, you're too smart, shut up and something like that. <laughs> and I just, uh, in a way, uh, lost my self-confidence. And that's something that I would uh, go back and tell myself, don't trust these people. They are mm. all, it's just because they are afraid and they are scared and jealous. Wow. That's why it happens like that. It's not about you. It's about them. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this is a good one. Um, 
and um, I believe that uh, those who are listening to this uh, podcast, they also want to be to become a leader in their communities. Do you have any advice for them? Hmm. I think. Uh... Like in the business school, they told us that the leadership skills can be learned. And after being here for 10 years, of course, it takes something from your personality. You like not everyone can be the leader, but everyone can be responsible for what they are doing. And everyone can... uh, uh, make other people happy just by doing the right things so you don't like you don't have to be the leader in official way you just like love people and try to do best for them like you know there are many people who are trying to look better when uh, when they are somehow i don't know the word in english but they are trying to make other people look worse Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm the smart one and you are like idiots and nobody understands it. I've been there too. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and I don't think it's the right way because mm-hmm. every person is valuable and they, every one of them knows something and you can never step into other person's shoes and you should never do that. Just like listen and try to do what you can to help these people. So basically, use your skills, in a way, the skills yes. that you were born with, and develop your your own skills and don't, you know, try to become someone else, in a way. Yes. Just be who you are. Mm. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, but you still have to, like, understand that every situation you face in your life is trying to teach you something. Mm-hmm. Like... Uh, when you meet people, it's like you will have a lesson from all of them. Yeah. I was recently trying to analyze why I got so angry at some persons in my life, but because I'm like, it shouldn't. I know that it's not nice to be angry, <laughs> <laughs> and I would like never go and hit them for that or something. But uh, but I was really trying to understand myself why this situation happened in my life and. Uh, why I reacted like I reacted (laughs) and what I could do differently. And I think uh, like there are some people who are thinking that leadership is about like being the president or the company director or something. No, you have to like ball. (laughs) I'm here, you ball, (laughs) you're nobody. Of course, maybe you just have to ha- hug them and say, thank you, you did a great job. Mm-hmm. And this is like really cool what you have done in your life and maybe they will become nicer. You never know. Yeah. You, they will have to try, you know, and see if yeah. it works. If hugging yeah. works, I hope it works. We'll see. I don't know, nobody <laughs> hugs me. Okay. <laughs> I do hug you when I see you. <laughs> I think I told you that for us people from north <laughs> okay at me like hugging is not very like uh at least in my family and my friends we don't hug each other like 
every time. And when I started uh, going to conferences in 2001, that was something terrible from everyone just wanted to hug and kiss. <laughs> and I was like, what is happening? And then, of course, I understood that it's cultural and there are mm. some countries that kiss once, some do twice, some three times. <laughs> if you're so lucky, now, there are four times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like you learn it by doing so mm -hmm. yes now i'm still like oh, hugging <laughs> okay. but i can do it and it's not that terrible nice okay so to conclude do you do you have anything else that we didn't mention that we didn't talk and you would like to to say something that is... <laughs> i think we were talking about so many things <laughs> i know i know <laughs> But Nothing any message comes. for bloody heroes around the world? And, the hero hero he and heroines, yeah. Heroine. Heroes and heroines, yeah. <laughs> That's a stupid word, right? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like heroin, yeah, but... <laughs> like the powder. <laughs> yeah, now the Secret Service will find out about your podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but... Um, my suggestion is just like um be nice to people i don't remember what i promised to tell you <laughs> before but um, but being nice to other people and trying to help them in the way you can do it and always like yes do the best you can and be responsible for what you have done if you made a mistake always admit it don't be afraid to ask questions because some people have done it before and <laughs> have seen many people coming to the field like, I'll change the world now. This is, um, I was the same as well many years ago. <laughs> Thought like, this is going to be easy. We can do it like in five minutes and something. But, um, but there are people who have been there, who have tried it one or another way. And, uh, and maybe just like join them, ask questions, try to see how you fit in the big puzzle. <laughs> because eventually it's like we live just once and you just you just have to be happy. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Oh Baiba, it was very inspiring conversation and um thank you for taking time out of uh you know all the papers that you have to read and the phd that you have to finish and all the other stuff <laughs> yeah and yeah thank you again for this incredible conversation and i i wish you good luck with all the projects and all the um changes you want to make in in your country in europe in the world and uh yeah i i believe that in few years we, we are going to talk again uh and I, still, I don't know what top is, is going to be, but definitely something inspiring from your side. Thank you very much for inviting me, for doing this. This is the first time I did an interview so long <laughs> with somebody. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you bye very bye. much. Yeah. Bye. Bye.